Welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This week we are going to talk to legendary angler Pete Mena, and we've talked to him on episode 200 when we had on a host of guests that have never had their own episodes. And so now Pete's going to get his own episode, and we're going to go down, uh, oh boy, a whole rabbit hole full of topics. We'll get into uh, five questions again, which we think turns into seven or eight. Pete answers a couple of them even before I ask him. And, you know, just you know, Pete's been on the water for, you know, basically since he was in old enough to hold a rod. And so lots of information available from Pete. So we're uh, looking forward to bringing you that conversation this week. Quite honestly, we're only, you know, we're way ahead of the game this week. It's uh, Thursday. Our ne- our last episode with Dara Cutter came out yesterday. So, Brad, we're, I mean, honestly, between the conversation we had with Dara and this one, like, I've literally just been in the shop or coaching baseball, so I don't have much to bring to the table. I don't know how much uh, time you've even gotten on the water, because I know Muskie Mayhem is, you know, busy as usual. Yeah, we've been pretty busy around here. I was out on the water earlier this week. Um, and then the week before I was on the water every day guiding, but you know, it's, uh, it's one of the deals. I'm kind of happy. I didn't book myself too heavy this week. I was actually supposed to be down South, uh, filming with Chase and we kind of canceled that trip. So it ended up uh, giving me a window to, to get some work done in the shop. But it sounds like you'll get to, uh, you'll make up for lost time here pretty soon. It sounds like you got something, uh, you know, you got some work cut out for you or you got some trip planned coming up here pretty soon. Yeah, absolutely. I'll uh, be on the water, I'm guessing, within the next day or so. And and uh, next week we'll be filming uh, potentially a open water bite, and we'll see what that all kind of presents. Still waiting for those mayflies to hatch. I don't know what's going on. We had like a little taste of it about a week ago. Honestly, this is the weirdest thing, man. We have not had a good mayfly hatch in many years, and, and we need it to get those fish to go out to that open water and and uh, hang out there for longer periods of time. But uh, hopefully that happens in the near future. And so, Brad, I guess if uh, we'll go into this here, we talk about every single episode. If you're looking for gear for your next musky fishing adventures, make sure you check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. In the last couple of weeks, we've gotten lots of stuff in there, whether it be, uh, let's see here, what do we get? Well, we got ourselves a huge order from Musky Mayhem Tackle. We've gotten in some Hog Seekers Tackle. We've gotten in some new hoodies. If you're looking for some hoodies with a leather patch on them, something that uh, I haven't necessarily seen in the muskie world yet, we have those. So new gear, and new gear for you to wear on the water, and new gear for you to catch more fish with. So we got you uh, covered. TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. How about that uh, new grandma collar that you just got in? We did. Gold Rush Cisco. It's online now, so you can go check that out. Brad should have his now, I would imagine. I'm just I, waiting for the pictures. Do. Yep. I do, Jeff, and I appreciate that. Hopefully we'll uh, put that to work here in the open water this coming week. I definitely hope so. I'll stand by for pictures because, you know, I'll, I'm I'm going to have to live vicariously through you. I might get on the water this weekend, but I've debated whether or not I'll even take the boat up. And when I say this weekend, I mean the weekend that just went past because we're a little ahead of things. We're, we're kind of in this warm period right now, and so I'm actually thinking maybe there's a chance I'm just going to get the p- kids on the pontoon because that's what they like to do during warmer water periods and, and give the muskies a little bit of a break. Not because I'm worried that the water temperatures are too high, but usually if I go hang out in the sun all day with the kids, I don't necessarily get out at night and go musky fishing. So uh, something I might consider doing would be, uh, you know, just hanging low and living living vicariously through you and waiting for some pictures to come rolling in, Brad. <laughs> well, hopefully I can provide. 
I'm sure you can. And so if people are looking for, for gear for Musky Mayhem Tackle, you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. Um, we're known for the big blades and uh, the originators with uh, Flashaboo. And you can check out our product line uh, at any good retailer as well as right at muskymayhemtackle.com. All right. With that being said, I think we'll just jump into our conversation that we had with Pete Mayna. All right. Our guest this week is Pete Mayna. Last time we spoke with Pete was on episode 200. We broke out some uh, some big guns for episode 200. And during that episode, we talked about having Pete back. And our schedule have finally aligned. Pete's been very... Uh, he, he's been very good about making sure he stays in contact with me to get this episode done. So Pete, I want to thank you for, for, uh, making sure that you, uh, you, you gave me some, you know, reminders like, Hey, we, we can do this. And then, uh, my understanding is you're doing a little bit of dog sitting at home. So you're kind of stuck there at home and, uh, it worked out timing wise. Yes, that was, <laughs> that's when I thought of reaching out to you because, uh, I had the dog sit for three days, and I thought, I'm going to have time. I won't be able to, like, go on a pretty big fishing trip even if I wanted to. So I thought, ah, I'm going to reach out to Jeff again and see if we can get this thing done. Yeah, well, we appreciate. I really do appreciate you reaching out. So, Pete, let's talk about that in a little bit. So let's just say you weren't dog sitting right now. What What does a typical week entail for you? Uh, getting out on the water just when, uh, I, you know, I, I think... The fishing is going to be best in a lot of cases. And then uh, this this is also the time of the year I just like to fish with my dad, Tex, a lot. When it comes to taking Tex out, then that's that's generally just midday kind of banker's hours. He likes to get back by 5 o'clock to do a little walk and then drink a beer. And so when you go fishing with Tex, it's multi-species. They target mainly walleye, bass, whatever, and 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 you just you know start mid morning and fish till the afternoon. It's actually been really really pretty good overall this spring. Uh, you know, smallmouth and, and walleye, I would say, is around here anyway. It's been a little bit better than the year before. Anyway, obviously there's this, certainly like musky fishing. Uh, some days are better than others, and it's generally weather dependent. And it's a matter of patterning and all those different things, but. Overall, the fishing's been real good. The, the interesting thing to me is is we have not had a single chaser this year, uh, which isn't super common, but you know normally it normally it happens. We have not had a single muskie follow a fighting fish in this spring or getting grabbed or anything, which was kind of odd because we've had a lot of them come to the boat. Yeah, that is interesting. I mean, I don't even do a lot of multi-species fishing, and when I do, I, I occasionally have it happen. I can think back to, you know, fishing with my dad one time, and you know, this perch or he was fi- he was perch fishing while I was musky fishing. Of course, he's the one that gets the musky to come up and eat the live perch and fights <laughs> fights it all the way to the boat, and of course, it just opens its mouth and lets go. But you know, I even like I said, I've even seen enough of those encounters. So that's that's uh, that's interesting. I wonder, I mean, is there anything you can attribute that to? No, uh, you know, I can, I, I can speculate, but, uh, not really. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, I, frankly, that reaction, which is, you know, has all kinds of common sense to it in my mind, uh, you know, the predator fish of any kind, walleye, bass, whatever, it's just a different size prey. But if, if it looks wounded and easy to catch, that's, you know, generally what they're going to go for. And of course, when, 
when you're fighting, uh, you know, a crappie, bluegill, walleye, bass, whatever it is, it, you know, looks wounded and, and, and fairly easy to the predator. So, you know, you would think they'd, they just grab it, and, and a lot of times they do. Normally, normally it's something you see. Yeah, I have not, uh, I have not seen it at all this year. I've had a few pike kind of dart by, but at least that I can tell anyway. I haven't seen a muskie do it, so that's kind of odd. Well, since we're on the topic of, I guess we'll say, current fishing extravaganzas or, or trips or whatever you want to say, your current time on the water, let's talk about what you're seeing on the water. What do you, what are you seeing for? Weed growth and water temperatures, I know that northern Wisconsin, especially up by you, you're up in the Hayward area, was probably a little bit behind, especially because of the amount of snow cover you guys had in the late ice. Is, are, are things catching up? Or are they ahead? Where do you think we're at right now? I would say we're getting pretty close to caught up in most cases. It is interesting. Every, every body of water is a little bit different. But, uh, yeah, the weed growth was way behind. Ice was out pretty late, and actually the water temperatures remained pretty cool, but then then warmed up fairly quickly, and, and overall we've had a lot of sun, so the you know the weed growth caught back up uh, quite quick. The, the one weird anomaly that we do have up here that, uh, you know, is likely getting more common, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not familiar with everything across the whole northern part of the state here, but in our area here we've got a, we've got a few lakes that have gotten the, uh, the milfoil in it, and uh, there's at least three lakes where they, they're trying to poison it and have been for a while. So that's, that's kind of an interesting moving target. You know, it seems like, obviously, it, it, I don't know if it's possible to literally target one type of weed and not hurt any other weeds. So you, when you're out fishing these bodies of water, you really, you really kind of got to adapt and, and check every year. I mean, uh, depending on what they decided to do the year prior uh, or whatever, you'll, you'll get out and, and uh, where, where normally there's been good weeds for years, all of a sudden they're not there because of the poison. So it, and, then, and then sometimes they do it right, you know, kind of in the middle of the season. So literally you can come back where there was... Uh, good weeds a week before and and all of a sudden fine things have changed so that's definitely one thing you you really need to stay on top of but uh i don't think that you know it's 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 different for for muskies or or any species really it seems like more and more i've been able to pattern fish location to a certain extent and maybe some of it's these you know these milfoil lakes where there's that there's that different combination it's I guess it's more of a distinct uh, weed type to weed type edge, but boy, really, really paying attention to that in uh, in recent years. I think it's always been that way, but even even more so now than than prior, in my opinion. I'm I'm looking for patterns there. Sometimes it'll be the shallow side, uh, inside weed edge. Sometimes deeper weed edge. But definitely that transition from you know whatever it is, milfoil to cabbage, milfoil to to whatever is 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 something that i'll i'll be trying to pattern for and and especially with the smaller fish obviously muskies will move a little farther faster but uh you know precise casting that's where i actually prefer the the sunny days to a certain extent uh you know normally you certainly don't do that for muskies but the sunnier calmer days it's really interesting how really you know, those polarized glasses are gold because where you put your 
your bait and where you're retrieving it is a big, big part of your success. You know, Pete, I was going to ask you about that when you talked about the, you know, milfoil, the cabbage edges. I was going to ask you if that's something that you notice um, on your sonar or is it just simply old school visual? That's how you, you pick that stuff up. Oh, both. You can definitely tell the difference on uh, on, on the sonar and side imaging as well. But it's it's just, you know, with, with regard to the actual act of fishing, uh, it's it, it, it's so much easier. At least I'm not good enough looking at my electronics to know exactly where to cast to perfectly hit the edge. It, you, you have a super good idea, obviously, but, you know, ideally, you're literally seeing it with the polarized glasses and and as long as the sun's out, there can be a pretty good chop. Actually, you can you, you can you can see the different hues. Yeah, it can be. It can definitely be a big deal. You know, one time I think it'd be cool if we did like a uh, maybe this is a YouTube idea for you. You should take you and maybe get like her back together or something like that. You guys go out on a body of water, no electronics, no nothing, and uh, you know see how you guys do, and then maybe get a group of guys together that are really good with their electronics, and then. You know, I just yeah. com- compare and contrast to see how, how different the results would be during the day because I think there's certain something about, well, well, you know, we'll call you old school, Pete. You know, you're you're not old, but you're not one of the young guns, that, you know, that you're not in that you know, 20-something class. And, you know, there's something to be said about the way that you guys have learned and adapted musky fishing because you guys still do a lot of stuff essentially by feel, you know, in a way, you know. Well, yeah, and no, oh, I'm definitely uh, old school. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm not exactly a fossil, but I've been around a long time. And and it's interesting to ponder, and that's something we can certainly talk about today. That uh, I I think things are are changing fast, and I and, and I uh, I sometimes wonder too, which is why I actually love your idea. I've I've thought of it, but really haven't taking it past just that initial thought but i think that's a great idea to have somebody that's really good with and 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 is used to relying on the electronics mainly and then uh you know the old school way whatever you want to call it and see how things uh progress from there you know based on those tools because to a certain extent i i I think part of it is the electronics that's that's educating fish very quickly and i i think our fish are more educated than ever i also think our open water fish are probably the ones that get educated the fastest and and are 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 maybe possibly the most educated now and in uh and and looking for specific things with their with their presentations you know the the hardest to catch Probably at this point, when I first started doing open water stuff, they were far and away the easiest to catch. But way back when, when I was basically the only one trolling, or in a lot of cases, the only one casting on a lot of bodies of water out in the open water. I Back then, I remember having the thought that these open water fish seem to get educated a lot quicker. You know, when you're when you you essentially feel like or at least from what i could tell when you're not you know you're fishing fishing a lake fairly often and you're not seeing anyone else doing what you're doing so you know the pressure is basically you and yet you know in a matter of a year or two you you, you can start seeing a change in the in the fish and that just tells me they you know they learn fairly quickly 
in open water. To me, it makes sense just because structure fish obviously are, you know, more ambush type predators. I think to a certain extent, they're they're not uh, watching everything all the time, and especially in the clear body of water, these you know these open water fish are out there. They you know they see their environment period all the time, and uh, it it just makes a little more sense that they can be more selective as compared to a structure type fish, which in a lot of cases is is relying on the ambush factor, so they just immediately react to something where these open water fish are like, oh, okay, I've seen that before, and I remember getting drugged around, and next thing you know, I was in a damn net, and Maine is taking pictures of me, and I didn't like that, and I don't want to do it again. So, I, you know, I, it would really be interesting to see, uh, you know, the old school against electronics. I think it's interesting, Pete. You know, there's a few guys that I know that are actually turning off their electronics quite often now and uh, basically just shutting them down so the fish can't feel that that sonar at all, whether it's live or it's just normal uh, sonar or whatever. But they're literally going to a spot, and they might know that spot really well. Maybe they're visually fishing it, but they are literally turning off their electronics trying to fool those fish. Yeah, that makes sense. Makes sense to a certain extent. You know, I, I've even I even had a guy tell me one time that they like to crank up their music so it sounds like a party boat versus a fishing boat. So <laughs> you know, we're all musky fishing, we're all a bunch of weirdos, but at the end yep. of the day, maybe maybe some of that does make sense, you know? Oh, I yeah, uh, you know, nothing would surprise me really to a certain extent. One of those things that uh you know, you, uh, recreational boats to a certain extent, you know, might might bother you, and you think it's bad for the fishing and whatever. I've, you know, I've I speculated that once the fish get used to it, obviously the traffic, they have to learn how to make a living in it, and you know, they the the recreational boats can be advantageous as well. I mean, I had a I had a stage where I you know couldn't wait to have some people drive too close to me. <laughs> <laughs> you're like casting right behind you know as they go over and i i've had success doing that kind of weird stuff too it, you know to a certain extent though that makes sense it, you know it, it should if they're running over a weed bed which of course fishermen we we love to say why are these idiots doing it but you know it, it scatters obviously the bait fish or whatever especially in shallow zones when they're running over and you know the, i Common sense, at least, tells me that maybe a predator learns to to use that and work with that to feed. So I don't know what the 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 whole thing about the forward facing sonar and whatever, dude, is just that you know I I don't know how many people do it, but I I you know I've talked to enough people that say they they literally chase fish around with it. So you know that's a whole new level of pressure. You know, you got somebody that really wants to catch a fish. I, I expect there's some kind of level of success with that to a certain extent. Can you harass a fish into biting? But, uh, you know, to me, common sense also tells me that when you have a certain percentage of people that are using the technology to continually present uh, baits to them where, you know, it was always willy-nilly. You know, we went around and searched. We'd try and figure out where the fish were, but we literally couldn't individual fish and cast at them uh yeah how how is that affecting these fish and then and then with what you're talking about gosh you know can they can they feel it do they you know do they know they're going to be harassed with the when they hear those electronics coming it's it's really interesting stuff 
Yeah, I think it, it's quite scary, really. I mean, if you think about it, but we already, you know, whether it's been 20 years ago, I, I think you're right. The pressure has changed quite quite a bit. It's pretty drastic. And I agree with you on the, on the open water stuff. It seems like <laughs> these fish are so aware of their surroundings, right? They always know what's going on around them. And when you're in a clear body of water, now they have the visual side to it, too. And it, it makes it more challenging, that's for sure. And I think it's so weird to me because, you know, you think of their little brain, how much memory do they retain? You know what I mean? But right. they definitely do have some sort of a memory sensor in there, that's for sure. Oh, I don't think there's any any doubt of that. Uh, you know, you guys have both been around long enough. I'm sure you've experienced some bodies of water that, uh, you know, is sig- significantly less fishing pressure than, than most of the places we deal with these days, and, and, and there's definitely a difference. I mean, you know, uh, dumb, dumb fish are kind of nice, you know. I mean, uh, plain and simple. It's a, it's a hell of a lot easier to catch them. Uh, where they've had uh, very little pressure. I was communicating with a young guy that, uh, that fishes Lake St. Clair over social media here the last couple of days, and uh, he got a real nice muskie, and I congratulated him and said, boy, that's a tremendous fishery over there. And we started, you know, basically talking uh, talking fishing pressure. And he was he was amazed when I said, you know, I from what I could tell when I started fishing there, I was the first guy ever to be throwing top water in uh inside weed lines in there and like the you know three to four feet of water and you know boy you you could tell those <laughs> those muskies hadn't seen the top water in, in those situations before you did obviously they didn't always bite but well i'll tell you what there wasn't any following going on i mean it it, it was just brutal and and uh you know those are those are fish that essentially just did you know never never seen those presentations well that's that is a absolutely huge difference so i don't think we'll ever know exactly you know how much they learn how long they can remember or whatever but there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that they they learn quite significantly so it does totally change the game for what we're dealing with these days i think a i think a wide array of different presentations and 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 timing now and, and and thinking and patterning is a is, is a way bigger deal than it used to be you know 30 years ago so pete let's let's go down this path let's uh say that there's a new lake that's just been stocked right and so you've never been on the body of water and uh these fish have had six seven years to grow how are you going to approach that lake what are, what are you going to do when you first reach that body of water kind of run everybody through uh, what Pete Mania does when he hits the water. Well, if you've got, if you've got something like that, the, uh, you know, the, the, the classic areas are, are just about always going to be the best, the, the, the places that stand out. So generally, it, it, it's all, you know, time of year dependent to a certain extent. If you're real early in the year, obviously you'd want to be fairly close to the uh, the spawning areas uh, was probably still going to have your highest concentration of the fish, but other than that, just uh, just classic structures. Uh, anything anything mid lake that you see, you know. I'd, this is assuming that you know there would be there would be mapping available, which certainly there there would be these days. Now, if we go back further than that, let's assume it's a lake that doesn't have mapping. I mean, most likely, I would start out trolling. 
at that point and and try and figure out where where uh, some of the some of the main lake structures and stuff are and obviously uh you know if it's if it's a uh, no current lake uh, no natural current you know that's that's one thing you're just looking for main lake structures points uh inside turns those kind of things uh but also, if uh, if it happens to be a, a river system type of deal, then you know you're looking for prime current areas and, and, and breaks and, and, and that type of thing to target. If there's been no no pressure on the body of water to really speak of those those classic type spots are are, are going to be the zone without a doubt. And and you know you start there. And, Unfortunately, there is no absolute science to anything. Every every body of water seems to be a little different too. And in, in in my mind, everything fishes a little bit different. Uh, that's uh, that's probably mainly because of the pr- predominant bait fish in there. And uh, you know, there's you know, depending on what type of fish it is, their preferences are all a little different depth wise, weed wise that they're going to be hanging around. But uh, you know, it. it you're just patterning it from there. I always say, you know, look at what you have. In some cases, it could be a, a bowl lake where there's very little. Uh, you know, in that case, it's pretty simple. You got the shoreline and that edge that you're going to fish, and then you got open water fish. So, you know, that's that's simple, and just try and try and pattern where they are. But uh, say you got a fairly complex situation where you do have weeds, rocks, maybe a little wood. And you got some current breaks. You know, you just all all you can do is prioritize what you think will be the best and systematically start after it. And uh, but you know, once you once you start seeing fish on a particular type of structure and depth, then you you know you go from there and try and tune it in a little closer as far as the presentations that they like the best and take advantage of it. Yeah, I definitely agree. You know, the the trolling aspect of things, you can cover a lot of water quickly. You get to learn a lot about that body of water as you're doing that trolling. And, and that's only going to improve your casting ability. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and that, you know, I would say, obviously, you want to initially, if you are actually using trolling to a certain extent to learn a body of water, you know, set your bait shallow so you don't have disasters. There's nothing... <laughs> I know I've done it. You guys have probably done it too. I, I made that mistake several times on new water. You're like trying to work an edge and trying to keep the baits close to the. Yeah, I, I learned keep them up high. Uh, fish do look up. They will. They will go up. That way you don't get into trouble and you can, uh, you know, you, you can learn a body of water fairly quickly and 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 still have a good shot at, uh, at catching a fish doing it. I got a funny story. So my cousin is a hunting outfitter in Montana. He he fishes Flathead Lake for uh, lake trout and so on. But uh, he bought a new boat and he was all excited. And, and I'll just say this. He's a really good fly fisherman. But when it comes to lake fishing for any kind of species, things are going to get brutal really quick. But uh, he buys a boat out by Fluted Sound. And he said, yeah, I'm going to go out. I'm going to do some salmon fishing today. And he had downriggers on there. One thing that happened is he ripped one of his downriggers right off the first day. He got a little shallow. And uh, but his first fish in his boat, which is, this is just unbelievable in my opinion, um, was like a 16-inch diameter starfish. And I'm like, uh, you might want to lift your bait just a little higher. I mean, think about that. That's pretty, pretty bizarre. Yeah, that is crazy. 
I'd like to talk more, Pete, about transitions. You know, you were talking about it a little bit with uh, different kinds of weeds, you know, and, and it might be milfoil to to coontail. It might be coontail to cabbage, so on and so forth. But there's so many other transitions out there, and it's been kind of a topic around my house the last couple of weeks, uh, just here and there. You know, there's so many different kinds of transitions, and I think uh, maybe we can get a rundown from Pete Manuel on what, uh, what transitions you prefer. Oh, yeah. Well, obviously the bottom content, you know, hard to soft. And then especially this time of the year, you know, any any areas that, uh, you know, where, where bugs are going to be hatching, you know, that kind of thing is major to look for, especially if, uh, you know, you're doing any kind of a kind of an open water bite. But uh, and the, trans, the, the one thing that that's still most people tend not to look for, and I almost don't even like talking about it to a certain extent, but, uh, you know, we're all, I'm, I'm still guilty of it myself. And there's a lot of cases where it doesn't necessarily exist, but inside edges, we, we, we tend to always, when we're, when we're working edges, you're positioning the boat on the deep side and you're casting up shallow and coming back across possibly parallel as well. But, uh, in a lot of cases, uh, in, in inside shallow side uh, edges where the where, where the weeds transition to sand uh, is real common. In a lot of cases, that can you know depending on the time of the year, those can be some uh, some real good patterns as well. And uh, and Canadian shield type stuff, you know, a lot of a lot of people get in a hurry and they're you know they're running around trying to hit prime spots and stuff like that. And if you if you break down some of those structures a little bit more, you know, you'll you'll find sometimes there's actually a little deeper water uh in in between a shoreline or an island or whatever and and, and a structure that uh that can be a, a, a big big deal and, and and usually if you find a spot like that if you're if you're able to do it and fish it, uh, in a lot of cases there's been very little pressure there. What we talk about with little pressured lakes you know obviously that could be a little pressured spot comparatively because people do get in that rut of you know deep to shallow presentations that's a it's the safest for your boat and it's it's standard and it works and but uh you know the any any kind of a transition of any kind which could be a curt break or so many different things is just you know something you ought to be thinking about and and to me that's one advantage that us old guys have because that's how we learned everything i'm not the i'm certainly not the brightest guy with anything uh you know computers period and uh and and i am not captain electronics i use them i understand them to a to a large degree and they're they're great tools but i I don't rely on them as much as as most people, and I think to a certain extent, in a lot of cases, that is an advantage. I feel like day-to-day on-the-water patterning has always been my biggest strength comparatively to everything else I I do and I've done. I always always think that way. I'm I'm looking for it. I don't always get it, but you know I. I can I can tell you that's what I'm always thinking about on the way home. Of course, especially when you get your butt kicked, it's always easy to be happy on the way home when everything went great and you think you're brilliant. But 
I, you know, I, I, on the way home when you haven't had such a good day, I, you know, I, I pick myself apart as to what I didn't think of trying, or in in some cases something that I all of a sudden hits me that I should have caught on to, but I didn't catch on to during the day, <laughs> which might have you know might have got me a few more fish. I. I, I just I, I I think that's real important for people to be aware of on the water, and I and and I fished with a with a fair amount of people that uh, do a really good job with that, but a lot of them that that don't. You could just tell them there's nothing, you know, whatever it is. It is what it is. But it's something I I observe that uh, things that I would really pay attention to just you know blow blow right by some people when things start to happen. And uh, I really, really try and pay attention to that, and and that's that, that's one problem I think that works against people to a certain extent. Guys that are really good with electron electronics and electronics reliant, sometimes the vast majority of fish that you're able to see on your electronics are not fish that are biting. I don't. I don't frankly give a crap about fish that aren't in the mood to bite. And that's where just, you know, patterning on what's going on, what what fish are reacting positively to your presentations can be can be a lot more effective because to a certain extent I think a lot of people get stuck playing the playing a video game with fish that don't want to bite. Yeah, I can't argue any of that. You know, and this kind of leads into that transition of uh, one of Jeff's favorite questions. When do you adjust? How long do you give something before you adjust? And I think a lot of times it's more of a gut feeling than it is anything. And I agree 100% with what you said. You know, you're not interested in uh, casting at fish that aren't going to eat. So maybe you're totally off base right away from the start. You're seeing fish, but they're just not going. Maybe you're too close to them. Maybe they know you're there. How long do you give something before you make that adjustment, Pete? No, uh, that's uh, not too long. It all it all depends. I, I mean, if it's a if it's a structure depth type situation, I'll, it it certainly all depends on if I'm seeing them as well. Actually, actually react to my lure. You know, it, uh, it then then it's a matter of well, what's you know what's what's coming up potentially uh, you know weather activity wise. I mean when. When you're dealing with these these fish that are more educated these days, that's so much of a of a bigger deal. I mean, you might be able to find a presentation that's going to trigger them, but in in reality, in a lot of cases, you're uh, you know you're waiting for an activity period too, which which is either you know going to be created by uh, by moon or, or, or weather, and and it's a it's a comeback deal. But I'm fairly impatient. I guess to a certain extent, and I I I feel like that's that's probably a, a a good idea overall these days. Like, you know, one of the questions I've got for years and years and years is, you know, how long do I use a lure? And and obviously, it's not really an answerable question to a certain extent. It's you know, it's gut feeling, it's common sense. I mean, in reality, to a certain extent, I mean, you're fishing for the lowest density critter in the lake. Uh, before before the electronics, anyway, I guess electronics tell you you know exactly what you're doing. Oh, it's okay, so I know these 
these muskies have, have seen my bait so I can try something else. But let's, you know, let's let's eliminate that and just say you're out there trying. I always would tell people like 20 minutes or so. I mean, you got to make sure the fish has even seen your lure to a certain extent before you before you know it's going to be effective. But, you know, these days, I think it's... Uh, it's it, it's really important. I, I go nuts if I uh, if I don't have multiple anglers in the boat because I wanna I wanna show fish more presentations as many as as many as possible to try and whittle through that and and figure out if there is something in particular that uh, uh, is is you know triggering fish better than others. So I I like to have at least three anglers. And obviously, it can get quite busy in the boat. But even four doesn't bother me because uh, you know you're you're trying more presentations at once. Anyway, it's kind of a, a babbling response to a certain extent. It's gut feeling. Uh, if if a lake is predominantly weed or what rock or whatever, you know, I'll I'll probably give it a you know a, a couple hours before I quit on what I feel like is prime structure and i'm you know i'm going to be trying different different depths on that structure as well and then uh you know if you're if you're not seeing anything at all uh, you know obviously i might i might switch it up sooner if you got a little bit going it is kind of a, a on the water type of decision making process to a certain extent but i tend to get more impatient knowing that i'm dealing with with pressured fish you know pete one thing you you mentioned baits and in how long you have a bait on and, and whatever a lot of it comes down to confidence right now i'm just curious you know you've been on the you've been on the water a, a lot over the last handful of years like if you had to go pick a confidence bait for you what's it been lately i know that you know so there's lots of trends and lots of things that go on is it something new is it i mean are you still just going back to you know old school jerk baits like what what's the confidence bait these days well, a confidence bait overall is, uh, you know, to, to answer the question honestly, is really a really a pretty wide array of things, and of course, it's it's time of year dependent. If you're if you're really into uh, big fish, I would say soft plastic and big soft plastic. Something that I will no longer do, by the way. Uh, I'd like to get young people in the boat and let them chuck that stuff, but I think that uh, you know uh, uh, aggressive retrieves with with big soft plastic and and probably blades as well. There's you know it's there's something you know as many inline blade baits that have been thrown over the years and and in general I think larger. There's certain bodies of water where there does seem to be a preference to. Uh, the smaller baits uh but obviously you know brad the you know the the big blade rig your what what happened with your baits is, is just amazing you know how many big fish caught on those and uh I, I think to a certain extent you know that's that that that's still true to this day they're uh you know they're big fish baits and then other than that you're just looking for you know time of the year dependent i i i think cooler water the you know the crankbaits and jerkbaits are are probably going to be a little better overall than they are right in the in the warm water period. Uh, top water is a uh, is is definitely a, 
a killer and to a certain extent a, a, a big fish killer too and then and that's super sound related to me what what what's hard to predict you know if you get dialed in on a particular body of water what's hard to predict is the sound that they're in the move for and and that varies greatly uh lake lake to lake as well i mean it really is a, a situational type of thing but if it's a if it's a fairly new bait you know i mean one thing is that that confidence thing you mentioned earlier jeff too i mean there's some some baits that just you <laughs> you know you've got a gut feeling you've had it you've had it work for you in tough times before that you know you're you're just going to keep throwing and to a certain extent maybe maybe that boils down to uh you know sticking to it you know obvious obviously uh uh, I guess the young guys call it grinding it out these days, but the more hours on the water, the more fish you're going to catch. I mean, at the end of the day, I caught more fish in the early years because I literally fished 16 hours every day on average, and these days 12 hours is a long day for me because I got old. But, uh, you know, uh, I I would, you know, for me, one bait that if it's calmer, I'll sit there and throw the Livingston Walking Boss topwater lure. I pulled fish out of my butt on that, but I'm if I get stubborn with it, you know, all of a sudden something out of the blue will do it. It's something that I like to use here again. I don't I don't like to throw the the big soft plastic and stuff anymore. I'd rather let somebody else do that and net their fish. But uh, uh you know, those are those are the baits that I think overall are just going to be consistent and uh and you need to you need to switch up a little bit. The one thing that's crazy about blades, obviously, is you know there's so many different color patterns and and blade combos and and sounds that you can get out there. I I I still think the you know the vibration and sound is a lot of it. But you know I'm, I'm sure you guys have seen this too. I I always like to say that color is not a big factor. Overall, it's it's activity level and right sounds and this that and the other. But gosh, I've I've seen the stupid color make a big difference too at times, and that's the one thing that really drives me nuts. On the you know on on the way home type of thing I was talking about earlier is what didn't I try? Was there a, was there a color or a particular bait that you know? really would have would have worked today and 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 there's a there's always a chance of that uh, you know you, you you see crazy things on a on a tough day all, all of a sudden a particular bait starts working and and uh that's that's back to why i like a lot of anglers if at all possible it's a big it's a big advantage to be able to wash as many different lure types as possible to potentially come to a pattern and just while the thoughts in my head you know it's it's a hard one too but boy if you know if something starts working i mean essentially you know you you should glue that on until it stops and and get that get that person in the front of the boat or the switch lures with the guy in the front of the boat i've always I've always been a back of the boat uh, guy. That's where I run the boat from because I started my roots guiding years ago, and I, I enjoy actually fishing from the back of the boat. Even though when fish are super active, I guess technically you could say it was a disadvantage. But uh, the back of the boat has its its advantages too. And and to me, that's the person that should be experimenting the most. 
who's ever in the back just just trying a bunch of different things and uh, and and different angles, uh, uh, you know, approaching the structure and stuff like that. Try and figure out something that might be working, especially on those tough days. All right, well, Pete, you kind of you kind of opened up the the door there. So you you know you talked about fishing in the back of the boat, and that was one of our questions this week. We were going to do uh, five questions, is what we've been doing the last few weeks, and I think actually this week we might have more more than five. So why don't we kind of transition into that? Seeing as though you kind of answered one of my questions already, we'll skip that one. But uh, let's talk, and, you, and you've even kind of touched on a little bit today, you know, one thing is, uh, one question we have is rubber versus jerk baits. What are you going to prefer? And maybe if you can give an instance of why you'd prefer one over the other. Oh boy. Uh, well, to a certain extent, I would say that, uh, I, I prefer rubber in deeper water in a lot of cases and, and deeper structure. I just think it's a, it's a more, more effective, more versatile, type bait for those kind of situations and uh and again it's 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 going to be more of a i'll I'll still keep it fairly general and just trying to be perfectly honest in uh in a in a patterning type of situation i mean i wanna i wanna try both on that particular day and that particular body of water and see what the see what the fish are telling me to a certain extent on that but I, but but I do think that uh, you know the the soft plastic. If you've you know if you've got a sharp break line and if you've got uh, deeper edges, I think overall they're a little bit more versatile. All right, let's go with uh, Lawrence Garmin or Hummingbird. And well, I'm uh, I have to say that most of what I know about Lawrence. And Garmin these days is uh, looking at other people's electronics, which I uh, I have uh, I, I don't do a whole lot of because I'm just about always out of my boat. I've been pretty much exclusively hummingbird now for oh 20 years almost, and I think that you know it, it's kind of interesting. The uh, most people I talk to say, well, if you you know if you want the side imaging. Uh, the absolute best, you know, you uh, hummingbirds the best at that, and and that the uh, the forward-facing sonar, at least that's what I've heard recent years, that uh, Garmin might be the best at that, and and 2D Lawrence might be the best at that. To a, to a certain extent, you know, maybe you'd, you'd need to mix it up a little bit from what, from what I hear to uh, you know to have the absolute best of everything but uh on and on the other hand in my mind I, I mean it's all uh advanced tremendously and 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 amazingly so to a certain extent uh i i, I think it's all amazingly good and 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 getting better uh every year so i don't know they're 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 absolutely tremendous tools but i am uh i i have been using uh Hummingbird, and this is the first. By the way, I have never until this year. I didn't even have Mega Live, so I am I am behind the uh, the times on the uh, on the forward facing sonar stuff. But I have, you know, I mean, it's it's it is amazing technology. I I, I do rely on the side imaging a lot with the with the Hummingbird units, and uh, it, uh, it 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 really is a game changer in a lot of ways. 
Well, then you kind of did it again. You kind of answered my next question because we had, you know, on, on the electronic side of things, we had, you know, side imaging versus live imaging versus mapping. What's the most important tool? And I'm assuming you're just going to go with the side image on this one. I just I just ramble, don't I? I go right into your neck. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize for that. Yeah, yeah. Overall, I I would say uh, I what I love about the side imaging is the uh, is is the learning aspect of it. You know, obvi- obviously, you can literally map out a lake, you know, as as well. But most of them. Most of them have such good contour maps now. In a lot of cases, that's you know not you know to me the biggest factor. Uh, what I what I really like about the the side imaging is uh, you know learning lakes quickly. You know you can pick off obviously fish, cribs, weeds, all these different things. And 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 in recent you know we we started off the, today talking about you know the conditions in the local lakes around here and I got talking about the poison weeds and this that and the other so you know I got bodies of water here guys that I've been fishing for 40 years and uh and the weed deal is a, literally a new deal every year literally, literally weekly as well and and that's what's really neat about that side imaging for me i i i can come in and it's it, it's necessary uh right in the middle of the fishing season to be you know checking out what's going on with the weeds and and you can do it so quickly with the side imaging now figure out what's going on so so pete um you know you're talking about side imaging are you using it on both ends of the boat or is it just on the transom i i started last august i ended up buying the uh, new Garmin trolling motor and I never thought that I would like my side imaging on the front of the boat until I had it. And primarily the, the biggest reason that I really, really truly like it is we deal with a lot of wind over here and we do a lot of side drifting. And when you're side drifting, your side imaging is pretty much useless off the transom. But what I'm able to do now is 45 that trolling motor or turn it 90 and guess what? I've got a good, clear image, and it's definitely changed some of the, the game, you know, if you're trying to follow a certain weed line and so on and so forth. Do you run it on both ends of the boat? Yeah, I do, actually. Yeah, I've had it, uh, I've had it in the front now for a while, and that is, that is really nice. I like to, uh, because I, I, I do work in the back of the boat, I like to have my my screen back there in in front of me. <laughs> I have to have one right in front of me now. The console used to be good enough, but uh, but anyway, I've got that one hooked up to my trolling motor, so that's what I'm looking at in back there, so I can see what's coming. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I agree with that. I mean, I've ran electronics at my feet for I don't know how many years, just primarily because a lot of the the lakes that I fish have super severe brake lines and, and it keeps you your boat control just like multiplies by a hundred and uh having that side view on the front for that application too i mean you can you can work any weed line really quick and easy it's right there in front of you and i'm with you on the other side of that too i used to always have everything at the council uh not so much anymore yeah yeah no, my, uh... my eyes are failing yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I can't see it quite as good anymore. But yeah, it, it is really a big deal. I mean, and and uh, you know, I got a twenty-two foot boat. Most of us have big boats these days, and you know, I mean, how often do you have? You literally got 
20, 20 feet of difference front to back of the boat in, in a lot of situations, certainly a lot of Canadian shield lakes that people get a chance to fish up there. I mean, you know, you got to, you got 10 feet in the front and 35 in the back sometimes, you know, so obviously it makes a huge difference in, in boat control, and especially if you're trying to uh, do vertical presentations on a windy day, it's really important. Okay, so moving on, Pete, let's go with stained water versus clear water. I like to punish myself and, and fish clear water just because I enjoy it. I, I will change from that, obviously, with, you know, for, you know, healthy fisheries type situations. If there's, if there's good fisheries that are darker water, I'm, I'm certainly going to do it. But my personal preference, you know, has, has always been the clear water and, and, and to kind of try to adapt to it. As much night fishing as I've done over the years, I literally at the towards the end of my uh, my guiding time, I was just about exclusively a uh, a night guide, just because you know there was uh, less pressure on the water. I didn't have to worry about getting followed around as much, and and uh, you know we did did quite well. And I think overall it's advantageous. And I think overall, you know, especially these days with the higher pressured fish, if uh, Real important thing to you is uh, is uh, getting big fish. I, I think that's probably the best time to do it. But I love absolutely the visual aspect of of musky fishing. That's that's part of the joy of it to me. And and actually, the one of the one of the things I've I've heard a million times, especially on interviews, is well, why muskies? Why do you do it? And, and this, that, and the other, and I, I love fishing for everything, but I, you know, the very honest answer is they still scare me, and that's, that's the cool thing about them, and part of it's obviously that there's not many of them, and sometimes you go hours and hours and never even see one, and then all of a sudden the big face full of tooth, full of teeth is right there at the side of the boat, and they shock you, you know, so that's what's, uh, that's what's cool about the whole thing. All right, well, not necessarily on my question, but since you went there, night fishing, <laughs> you talked about that a little bit. You know, if somebody's just getting started in night fishing, you got a, a quick tip or two you can offer up to maybe, you know, help people ease that transition? Because like you said, the visual aspect of musky fishing is why I don't do a lot of night fishing. I really should because there's far less boat traffic, and like you said, the fish might be a little more susceptible potentially. You want to offer up some uh, some pointers to get people started night fishing? Yeah, actually, uh, night fishing is that was that was my plan, especially when the when when the bodies of water started getting a little more pressured. You know, we talked earlier about where do where do I start on a on a on a body of water, and I you know classic classic spots if it's the first time I fished it, and, and I know there's not a whole lot of fishing pressure there. You know, main lake structures, the, the most type of structure on them, different weed types. Nice sharp breaks, irregular break lines, deep water access inside toward points. Those are the those are the places that generally hold the most fish in an unpressured body of water, but they also get the most attention. So I I would say my my big idea of night fishing, uh, you know, back back in the day was to basically target those areas after dark because those are the places that got pressure during the day so if i was uh if i was out on a body of water that that got a lot of fishing pressure i would literally always be trying different things than anybody else during the day i would be 
doing the open water pattern or fishing fishing shallower or just odd shorelines, not classic spots during the day. But night fishing, that that's when you literally... I tell people where everybody is fishing during the day, the most popular spot, which is generally the most standout spot to a certain extent if you look at a map, you leave that alone during the day and then you go fish that at night because they do hold fish and those fish will will come back and they will be a little bit more susceptible to getting caught after dark. I mean, the you know, the, the activity level still got to be right. That was one thing that I learned early on uh, night fishing for muskies. It's, it's not absolute magic. It doesn't just automatically make fish bite because it's dark. You, you know, you still have to wait for the times when they're in the right mood. But, uh, that's, that, that was the absolute plan overall because it, there are some unique cases of bodies of water that get popular enough with night fishing where that may not be true where there there's literally enough fishing pressure after dark that the the classic type spots were were being over targeted but for the most part that's that's not true uh you have you, you have comparatively very little pressure after dark and 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 essentially you should you should look at the popular spots to stand out most classic spots on your map and target them after dark and then Try and make it easier on yourself, though. You know, you don't generally have to target super heavy structure in a lot of in a lot of cases, depending on the body of water, obviously. But you know, you fish will move out of uh, real real thick cover. It seems like after dark, so you know, you could be more apt to target uh, uh, you know rock bars and and uh, if you are fishing an area with weeds. Uh, you don't necessarily need to be targeting the uh, the heaviest weeds, you know, picking along the edges and stuff like that, so that you're, you know, you're being efficient and you're not, uh, you know, you're not you're not getting weeds on your bait and this that and the other. And that's what that's one disadvantage after dark. Obviously, you don't have the polarized glasses and the and the visual to a certain extent. You can get an idea through your electronics, but uh, you know, in my experience, uh, fish will. We'll come out of the real heavy structure after dark. You know, one last question on night fishing is a bait selection. What would be your, what would be something that you, or what would be a handful of baits that you would use? I mean, are, are you still catching fish on rubber at night? Because I know sometimes it's about, you know, everyone thinks they need to have vibration of the top water, of bucktails, of that. Can you catch them on all your other standard presentations? I've had, you know, essentially, I would I would say that topwater bucktails and uh, crankbaits is, is where I've caught the most. But you can certainly catch them on rubber. Uh, you don't need super noisy baits. I I think I, I think you can you can catch a lot of fish on topwater. But I would I would really stay away from that, especially guiding. But you know, I'm I'm human too. It's just real real easy to screw up on topwater after dark. And and that's that's the only reason I would get away from it and, and lean more towards the bucktail and the and the crankbait because I I don't know they're 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 efficient they can be they, they can be straight cranked in and and you know generally uh, they're they're fairly easy to to figure eight and do a circle and and uh, you're just gonna you're just gonna have better better hookups, hooking percentages, and landing percentages. And 
to a certain extent a safety thing too you know i mean uh it was that was one thing I learned guiding. You you really you know didn't want to take newbies that you didn't know and give them a top water and have those things flying around after dark. It's a little dangerous. All right, you know, Pete. One thing we'll jump back to your stained water versus clear water. I think you know one thing is I tend to lean towards stained water more often. And I guess one one thing I can say about it, at my opinion of, it, is in stained water, I feel like you can make more errors. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I believe so. I, I believe so. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt about that. And uh, in, in general, I think uh, you know it's a little bit better in, uh, you know, in, in brighter days overall. I mean, I, 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 I have to say, in, uh, in, in guiding, when I was still guiding all the time, I would, uh, I, I would definitely leave the lake choice up to the that that very morning, unless people demanded that they had oh i shouldn't say demanded you know if they obviously they're they're paying you so you do what they want to do but if they if there's a particular body of water they want to fish and you know that's that's fine but i would generally you know being here in the hayward area in a lot of areas like that there's all kinds of choices here of musky lakes and uh and i would i would say hey you know we'll we'll wait till that morning that's when we'll make the decision and we'll go from there and then you know, generally uh, you know, I, on, on, on clear days and, and, uh, especially if there wasn't a whole lot of wind, uh, you know, in, in most cases I would have better success on stained and darker water, uh, you know, on the, on the clear days. And that's what we would choose in a lot of cases, you know, from a efficiency standpoint, not that you can't, you know, I've, I've got plenty of pictures of real nice muskies on clear days on clear water too, but generally it's tougher, you know, I, they can just examine things a little bit more i i think and you know especially when the fish are a little bit more pressured i think they're a little tougher to catch than the stained water fish all right moving on let's go with uh describe your ideal musky day weather-wise oh that that would be uh uh slow slow moving uh uh frontal activity i uh I, i like weather changes more than uh moon effects to a certain extent they're just uh i don't know they're a little, little more uh enjoyable for me but uh i you know there's a lot of days when you've got changing weather when it's you know it, it, it's kind of the violent type storm quick storms in and out and then, and then to a certain extent you're you know i've fortunately never been hit by lightning but you can potentially be dancing with death there but uh you know, they if there's fast moving fronts in and out, it 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 generally is either super tight windows or no. And in a lot of cases, you have to wait till actually after the front to uh, to catch that that bite. It seems like that's more and more the case these days too, with a little more fishing pressure. It almost always seemed like it used to be prefrontal even if the the fronts were moving and fast and they were nasty with electricity uh, you would still you would still get that window that 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 bite uh prefrontal a lot of cases now you man i it's just absolutely dead and in those cases you better you better try and get back out right after because if they didn't go prior they're going to go after, but it's not a very fun game to play 
when you're uh, you know you're you're messing around with the electricity and 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 trying to make the right call from a from a safety standpoint, and obviously that includes getting back out too. But some of the best fishing that I've ever had are are just uh, real real slow moving fronts that are that are coming in and and generally you know with the with the clouds and the, and a little bit of wind. Those are the those are the days where you know you see the most consistency and there's all kinds of crazy things I can say I'm a I'm, to a certain extent I'm somewhat of a sun hater from a from a comfort standpoint too to <laughs> to a certain degree so I just I just enjoy cloudy days more uh, and uh, overall uh, you know those are those are the kind of days where you get pretty consistent long extended. Uh, windows where it's uh, easier to pattern the fish and and actually take advantage of that pattern to where it's not a ten minute window or a fifteen minute window. That's a that's a weird thing too. I I, I know anybody who's been out there a lot has seen it. Uh, how how fast these these windows can be the peak feeding uh, these days, and I often wonder. It doesn't seem like it used to be that tight back in the day as much that's another pondering in my head at times as to how much these fish learn but it's uh i've i've learned from an efficiency standpoint that you you start seeing fish uh especially if it's a severe weather type thing but sometimes these tight windows are on moon activity too you you do not want to be celebrating at all uh, you want to, you, you got to get back to fishing as fast as possible because your, your best odds of catching a muskie that day are literally in the next five minutes. Again, right after catching one and you, you better be back at it to take advantage of that. These type of days with my long winded reply, though, seem to be that in, in modern times here anyway, the, the slow moving front that's coming in are the days where you can, you know, hopefully get like an extended period of of good bites and, and literally have a day where you got fairly fairly decent activity every every hour and then you can actually take advantage of patterning whatever whatever bait it might have been uh and and whatever type of structure and, and depth level that you've been able to pattern and uh and and just have a, a a more enjoyable day of it. It's a uh, the 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 super tight windows are fun and exciting and and something to talk about. But it's it's most enjoyable when you can actually have a day where it's pretty consistent action all day long. Well, I tell you, Brad, these um, some of these older you know guests that we have on here, the the Manas, the uh, Herbies, they make it real easy on us. They just you give them a, you give them a little bit of a, a topic, you open the window a little bit, and they just roll with it for for five minutes so we don't have to facilitate the conversation real much you just got to sit back and listen to what they have to say i like it it's easy nice day on the water for me or nice day on the podcast for me <laughs> all right pete i think we're going to go with uh bright colors versus natural colors which one are you going to prefer and in, you know some people subscribe to that bright day bright bait theory dark day dark bait theory is that something that you uh you can shed some light on as well yeah overall i think it's uh you know it's probably true. I I I lean more towards uh, bright bait uh, on uh, on bright days and uh, and stained water. 
probably a little bit more, but uh, but here again, that's a that that's to a certain extent a patterning thing. I've 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 often answered this question. I still believe it that that way. When you know people hit me about what colors, whatever. If, if I got the horrible horrible uh, question or or demand that you know, Pete, you're stuck with one color out on the water. What would it be? And I you know I, I've always said white, and I and I still stand by that. I think that. Uh, you know, both both clear water and 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 stained water. I've had enough success with that. That would that would still be my my choice to a certain extent to you know try and match the hatch and be most effective in uh, in any sky condition or anything. But but overall, it's uh yeah yeah brighter, more gaudy stuff on a on a, a bright day would be my my general thing. And uh, on on clear water. You lean towards more natural type colors in general, but again, there you know, there's absolutely no rules on this, so it does go back to the patterning thing. I, you know, that when I was when I was younger, I knew everything, and uh, you know, you, I, I remember, t- <laughs> I'll never forget a guy with a hog bobbler topwater. He, he, he dared to throw a black hog bobbler on a bright sunny day, and I told him. That's the stupidest damn thing you could possibly do. You only throw that black top water on a cloudy day, and and he didn't listen to me. And of course, he immediately caught a muskie. So there's little lessons that you that you learn. And same thing with the night fishing. Back to the night fishing topic. I was I was pretty staunch with uh, you know natural colors. Absolutely, you know black black was best or silver white after dark and you know you you get some guy and you really can't see what they're doing after dark you know unless you got a light on them all the time and uh some idiot would throw on a damn chartreuse bait and the next thing you know they catch a muskie and there you are you're shining the light in the net and here a guy caught a caught a muskie after dark on a on a super bright bait and in in my mind initially you weren't supposed to be able to do that of course common sense can tell you otherwise but uh, that's a that's a patterning thing, really. You know, at the end of the day, you start off with the the general idea of uh, you know bright on bright days and uh, go from there. That wraps up my five questions. Anybody have anything that they think we need to add to this episode? I, I do want to say real quick, as we're coming into to summer here, though, uh, you know, that just everybody on the on the handling. I always like to talk about handling and. Hopefully, as close to 100% releaseability and survivability as possible. It's uh, I've been uh, saying this a little bit more lately that uh, you know the uh, uh, if you were paid lots of money to find dead muskies, when would you go look for them? Uh, this is uh, this is that time of the year, and uh, and and the time out of the water is is critical. Uh, so you know. Have all have all the tools and uh, just just be aware of that that uh, you know the, the 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 stress and the handling issues are 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 definitely something that compound themselves and uh, are much more significant during the during the warm water period. So just be aware of that. Try and get them back as as uh, quick as you can. I will say, you know, on, on that topic, fortunately, we've been a little bit lucky. We've seen a little bit of yo-yo as far as the weather is concerned, you know, so we've had those those warm spikes, and we are in one right now, and it looks like things are supposed to get 
you know, come back down again and then hopefully a little bit of rain. So we've been able to avoid, you know, going into all that, call it danger zone quicker, but it, you know, it's going to happen in the Midwest. It'll happen, especially in Southern Wisconsin and, and, and below that it'll happen here anytime in the next couple of weeks. It happens every single season. So good pointers there, Pete, you know, we definitely want to make, be mindful of that. Uh, there's lots of conservation going on and there's lots of stocking programs, but you know, we as anglers can do our part to try to, uh, release them all as safe as possible. And, and, uh, it's good that you bring that up. Yeah, we're lucky this year. I mean, uh, the forecast here short term anyway, is at least the nights are staying cool. And, and I was out, uh, I haven't been out in two days, but, uh, it was actually still a little below 70 on one of our big deep clear lakes here. So. We're looking pretty good in the short term, anyway. So, Pete, let's talk about this, or let you, I'll let you talk about it. Um, if people are looking to get in touch with you, or they want to find out more about you, I know you have a YouTube channel. Why don't you kind of hit those things up before we uh, we call her an episode? Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, really, as far as uh, finding everything, just PeteMaina.com. All the all the social is on there. I'm on, uh, oh, you name it. Uh, you know, Facebook and Twitter and all kinds of stuff. And then the YouTube channel has been around for a while. Uh, but I will say that, uh, I, I got, uh, Dave Brown, uh, working with me now started, started last fall. He's, uh, he's pretty talented and trying to make a, make a go of that a little more. It was, it, it was never a big focus, but, uh, for me, but, uh, you know, something that we're pushing out there and you expect to see more stuff on that. So you can also, Find that uh, on uh, on PeteMaina.com or obviously by searching YouTube. So if you're not already subscribed, you're supposed to subscribe and like and hit bells and all kinds of stuff like that. I guess I don't know, but uh, but yeah, I appreciate the uh, you know checking that out if anybody hasn't yet. I'm sorry that you have to put up with Dave. <laughs> <laughs> He's a character. Yeah, I enjoy Dave. He's a He's one of the, the, I mean, nobody will ever be like Gillespie, but, you know, I've always said that John is one of the greatest guys ever to fish with because no matter what's going on with weather, production, uh, you know, he'll be having one of the toughest days on earth, and he's always got a great attitude. And Dave Brown seems to maintain a good attitude very well, and he's funny. So I just kind of, I don't know, I you know, Part of the part of the day, obviously, <laughs> you don't spend too much time catching muskies, no matter how good you are. You better be enjoying yourself out there, and uh, and, and I do enjoy my time with Dave. <laughs> yeah, Dave's a good guy. That's uh, um, and he puts out great content. You guys have been doing good good stuff, so I recommend the listeners go check that out. Uh, Pete, you know, I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule. I know this worked out well, and I appreciate you for you know making sure that you stayed in contact with me to get this episode done. And we want to also thank our listeners for uh, coming out and listening to another episode, and we will give you a new one again next Wednesday. Awesome. Thanks, guys.